Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners. It's Nicole Giantonio, the founder of Left Foot, and I'm here to announce that our 12 audio-based business development challenges are now available. 12 practical, execution-oriented steps to predictable success. Part of the Left Foot GPS growth practice solutions for business development. Go to leftfoot.com GPS for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest, a former practicing lawyer, is a burnout prevention and stress resilience expert and has taught burnout prevention and resiliency skills to thousands of professionals around the world. The founder and CEO of the Stress and Resilience Institute, Paula Davis-Lack, welcome to Left Foot. Hey, Nicole. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Great to have you as a guest in our program, Paula. I'm looking forward to it as well. Let's jump right into our questions. As you know, the majority of our listeners are lawyers and the professionals they work with. And there's so much change going on in their industry. And the word disruption is used all the time. But truly, there's so much going on with technology, with more competition. In your work, you talk about the ability to adapt as the foundation of resilience. Can you define resilience and then talk about professionals and resiliency? Resilience is a concept that I stumbled upon during my Master of Applied Positive Psychology program studies. And what took me down that path was that I had burned out during the end of my law practice. And I was looking for something not only for myself, but that I could sort of give or teach to other attorneys so that they didn't have to end up sort of burned out or, you know, not really engaged or feeling great about their work. And when I came across this concept, I was like, oh, if I had only had this, like, I mean, law school, before law school. I can imagine how certain things that I thought and decisions that I made and the way that my career unfolded could have potentially been somewhat different. And so I love the concept because it's a combination of a few things. So it's all about your ability to really deal with challenge, deal with change, deal with the disruption, as you mentioned, that is really, really pervasive right now in the legal profession. So it's how do you withstand all of that? But then when you do have a setback, how do you bounce back? How do you recover? And even more so than that, it's about then how do you bounce forward? So it's more than just getting kind of back to baseline. It's how do you actually grow from the challenge and the change and the adversity and the setbacks that you're experiencing? So it's really all of that. And I just define it really simply as your capacity for stress-related growth. So when you're in the middle of something, you're in the middle of stress, whether it be an everyday kind of hassle that we all you know, deal with all the time, or if it's a really big life adversity, how do you sort of get not only back to that bounce back piece, but growing from it as well? Dealing with challenge, dealing with change, being able to bounce back, the capacity for stress and being able to grow. How would you coach lawyers, professionals to really look at their ability to be resilient? What would be the first few things? 
Sure. That's a wonderful question. And most of my work is actually in a training group workshop or training type of situation. And one of the things that I like to talk about with lawyers is, you know, when we're talking about resilience, what are really the capacities or the big building blocks or the areas that you want to focus on? So if you think of like, you know, weight training or building your muscles, if you want to build your resilience muscles, where do you want to focus? And for lawyers, it's really important to really, you know, kind of focus and look at three different buckets or capacities. So I start big picture there. So the first kind of bucket or capacity or set of muscles that you want to develop is what I call think differently. So it's your ability to be a flexible, accurate, and thorough thinker when you're under stress and pressure. So what's interesting about attorneys is that I think, you know, we do a good job of, you know, problem solving and being critical and cross-examining witnesses and looking for details and evidence and all of that when it comes to our regular work as lawyers. But oftentimes when we aren't in that role, when we're in a business development role or a straight up leadership role or in the role of being a family member at home after work, we tend to maybe not be able to access those same sorts of abilities with our thinking when we need to, and that can really get in our way. So there's a whole host of skills that I teach under that bucket. The second big bucket is what I call connect more. So that's your ability to really foster and develop high quality connections and relationships with other people. So obviously, from a business development standpoint, this is really critical and really important. And I know a lot of attorneys who I talk to, if they're like me, are very can be very introverted and think to themselves, oh my gosh, how do I networking? That's such a, you know, off-putting term for a lot of people. And how do I actually, you know, start to develop those kinds of conversations and relationships? And the way that I think about it is just reframing it as, you know, you're looking to enter a particular community that's having a particular conversation. Do you want to be part of that conversation? And if so, you know, approach those types of relationships with a mindset of curiosity. What can you learn from people and what can you find out from people instead of necessarily having to feel like you have to be the expert, even though you are, that will certainly come into play. That's the second big group. And then the third big bucket is what I call thrive. So that's really how do you recharge your batteries and manage your energy? How do you stay motivated and engaged with what you're doing, whether it be your straight up legal work or whether it be the business development aspects of your work, what have you. So that's really kind of the big, broad place that I start at with those three pieces. And there's lots of different tools and skills that I talk about that fall under each of those pieces. I can imagine. So that's a great way to summarize it, though, because I think anyone can relate to those three buckets. And interesting, you know, and I think of the connect more, the curiosity, learn and find out. You know, we talk to lawyers a lot about niching and really going to events where you're possibly the only lawyer there or one of few lawyers there, right? An industry focus. And we talk about really getting in there and that that would be more along the lines of the curiosity, learn and find out. And then of course, how can I help, right? So I might be one of two lawyers who have decided that I'm going to get involved in the specialty chemicals industry related to hydrogen. I'm one of maybe three lawyers that attend their conference and find out more about the industry, but then how can I help? Can you give suggestions so that there's a right time to say I can help here? I think being very open to and understanding what is this potential client's pain points? Where are they struggling? Where are they not getting help? or resources, and really then trying to be laser focused and answering how your expertise can sort of fit some of those gaps. 
I've uh, become really interested in design thinking as an innovation methodology and a problem solving process, but I think it's an enormously applicable process for business development. And that process starts with just being really, really open to listening about and asking questions about what isn't going well for you. Like what keeps you up at night? What are you struggling with? What would be better? Like what would you need to get your business to the next level? Things like that. And then being able to kind of come in and pepper a little bit with your expertise is for me kind of how I approach the situation. The whole design thinking and then of course getting our professionals comfortable with that type of Q&A where they're not 100% knowledgeable in an area. And I think that's a lot of what we talk about with even role-playing, which of course is like going to the dentist. I mean, when you tell a group of professionals we're going to role-play something, the response is not that positive. It's a great way to learn, right? And to perfect those skills. When I read some of your recent work, you talked about self-efficacy. Can you describe self-efficacy for our listeners and then what that has to do with disruption that's going on in at least the legal space today? Very, very simply put, self-efficacy is just your belief in your ability to succeed. It's a very simply defined term, but it's a really, really important skill to develop. And here's where I started to get really interested in self-efficacy and its application to lawyers and to business development. And it has to do with the fact that we have seen kind of a flip or a change generationally when it comes to this type of topic. So when I talk to especially more senior associates and younger partners and even partners who have been practicing for a while, I tend to sort of ask them, hey, you know, are you guys familiar with the sort of the everybody gets an A generation, everybody gets a trophy, people just get gold stars and everyone shows up. And so we all get a certificate and we all win something. We don't keep score anymore when we play sports and that type of thing. That sort of, I think, very well intentioned thought about from parents and from coaches and from leaders about trying to prevent our kids from feeling bad about failing or feeling bad about not succeeding or feeling embarrassed because they missed a shot. So we're not going to keep score because we don't want you to be the person who, you know, was the one who, you know, was responsible for losing the game. That has had downstream and long-term consequences for people. And so what we've seen is that those kids who grew up aren't having the same levels of resilience as folks, you know, in my generation and older generations who, you know, kept score and, you know, got embarrassed about things and sat with those sort of awful kind of icky emotions because those negative emotions are there to teach us something. And so what we've seen is that, so for example, if my grandparents were to experience an onset of depression, that would typically have occurred by about the age of 30 or so. The first onset for depression we're seeing today is around the age of 14. And so that's been a wild, wild shift such that about one in five kids, by the time they're done with high school, have experienced some level of typically major depression. So there's been a huge sort of uptick with that. And so we're also seeing, you know, counselors offices and colleges just flooded because kids have these experiences and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to marshal their resources and they don't know how to get better and they don't know who to call and they don't know sort of what to do because they haven't had that experience growing up. Somebody kind of came in and swooped in and sort of made it better and caused them sort of cut off that pipeline of being able to activate 
their ability to believe that they could kind of bounce back and bounce forward from a failure. So being able to understand what self-efficacy is and that you need it and that it's really kind of a cornerstone of resilience and grit has become really, really important for people to start paying attention to. Thank you. It makes sense. You know, of course, listening to you explain it, it makes tremendous sense. And now a word from our sponsor, Nicole here, and a shout out and thank you for tuning into the Left Foot Podcast. Are you looking to energize your business development efforts? Our 12 Left Foot Business Development Challenges will energize your efforts in three areas. Business Development Grit, tactical habits that lead to business development success, including networking, nailing your niche, how to focus and develop an expert reputation, commercial savoir-faire, a discussion on business and the revenue side of law. At Left Foot, we believe 20% of people are natural at business development, 10% say no to business development, and 70% are neutral and can adopt the skills necessary when presented in an organized, methodical way. To learn more and be challenged, go to the GPS page at leftfoot.com. This trend that occurred, Angela Duckworth, Angela's work around grit. Do you see a connection there? And I ask that because, of course, when we talk about business development and we talk about the effort that goes into it, you know, very similar and definitely not to the same degree. But when I think about our law firm clients, our lawyers, and they put so much time into understanding their area of practice, when they've become accomplished, they really know something critical and unique, or at least know it well. And then when we talk to them about business development, there's this whole like, really, like I have to do that? Isn't just knowing my practice good enough? We tend to talk about the grit, the consistency, the needing to do certain things over and over again. Frankly, most of these efforts in business development are not successful. The majority are not. So we have to talk about that a lot in our work understanding that you're not going to be successful with every execution, the understanding that you have to keep going and you have to kind of quote unquote recover quickly and then go forward. There's a lot to unpack with that. It's really fascinating and it's really important. And I want to start just by finishing up a little bit with the self-efficacy piece, because I think that's an important launching point into answering your question. And people with high self-efficacy do a few things really well. And then you can start to see how that's connected to better, higher levels of resilience and grit. So one of the things that they do is they approach difficult tasks as challenges to be mastered instead of threats to be avoided. So you can say like if if you believe that you have some sort of ability to succeed and sort of get to that end point or that end goal, you're going to keep going, right? If you have that belief, it's just going to propel you forward. So people who have higher levels of self-efficacy stick to things longer. They have more of a tenacity and they're more tenacious. And they attribute a failure to not enough effort or a lack of skills. So they're easily able to see, man, this was, you know, gosh, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed today and I didn't prepare. And so the calls that I made with a couple of potential clients just didn't go the way that I thought. Or there's some sort of skill that I'm missing. How can I get it? Who can I talk to? And they start to marshal their resources. Instead of kind of sitting back and going, man, this is stupid. I don't know why I have to do this. This, you know, I'm just not good enough. This, I don't have it. I'm introvert, you know, sort of more of those permanent kind of things that keep you stuck where you're not seeing sort of how to how to kind of get your way out of it. So that I think is an important starting point. And so when you're talking about grit, Dr. Duckworth, who I actually had the privilege of studying with at Penn, would define grit as just having passion and perseverance for really long-term goals. 
So it's not about like cleaning out your closets next weekend. It's about, you know, gosh, in five years, I want to be at this point with my book of business. How do I actually get there? So I believe that resilience is a set of skills that can help you with your grit, help you be more gritty, because as you're going on that path, that long term path, you are going to have failure and you are going to have setbacks and you're going to have to be really good at understanding and reframing what those setbacks and challenges mean. And so I think that's really where the resilience piece comes in. It helps you kind of keep bouncing back and bouncing forward as you're kind of moving along that path. So that led me to start thinking about habits. You know, as we think about that and really developing the right habits and habits, of course, are something that you're going to keep doing until likely there's a reason you're going to stop them once they're developed. If we're going to go for long-term change that will result in success kind of over time, is there a way that you educate these groups that you're speaking to about developing those good habits? Is there some guidance around that that really helps them establish those strong habits around in our case, business development, but just generally? I love that question. And there's a couple of different pathways or avenues to go with that. And so the first one is really from just a straight up habit formation development standpoint. How does that happen? And one of my favorite books of the last handful of years is called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I really go back to sort of what he's talking about in terms of habit formation. What's the basic process for it when I'm talking to groups about how do you make anything a habit? How do you make some of the resilience skills I just taught you a habit? How do you make, you know, making X number of phone calls a habit? And it really goes back to his process of having a cue, then going through the routine of whatever it is, and then having the payoff or the reward on the back end. And if you want to change a habit or change something that maybe isn't working for you, what he would advocate based on the research that he's done for his book is to keep your cue and your reward the same, but change the routine. So I can illustrate this. I just wrote an article about this. I can illustrate this with my own bad habit of making chocolate chip cookies too frequently during the week. What happens is at about eight o'clock at night, here's my cue. I get bored. I feel bored. I'm either, you know, my tasks for the day are done and I'm just kind of hanging out on the couch and I'm sitting there going, I should be doing something. So this sense of boredom kicks in and I go, oh, I know what I can do. I can whip up a batch of chocolate chip cookies. There's my routine. I actually go through the process of making them. And my reward is sitting there going, oh man, this cookie tastes so delicious. And sort of the positive emotions or the positive vibes that I feel from having had a delicious warm cookie. And so then I thought to myself, I need to really break this habit because I'm eating too many cookies. And so what happens is, is that the cue still remains the same. So it's 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, here comes that sense of boredom. But I manipulate or modify the routine. So what I'll do is I'll um, I have keep a stack of books next to our couch. And so I'll take a book and I'll read one or two chapters. Sometimes, especially in the summertime, I'll throw on my workout clothes and I'll get like an extra workout in or I'll go for a short jog. And the reward though is still the same. I still feel that sense of accomplishment and the positive emotions that come with that. I've just shifted how I actually get to that point. And so even though I still make cookies probably too regularly, I've really paid attention to that process and it's helped me really shift in my ability to maybe not quite enter into such a negative habit so much. So I teach people that process. So what can you actually do during your day? So if you need to, you want to call five clients, what is your cue going to be? Is it going to be when you sit down and flip open your computer? Is it going to be at lunch and you're going to have a little reminder note go off? Like what is the cue? 
then the process is going to be the actual act of you know making your calls or sending out emails or whatever you do. And then the reward is, again, whatever the reward is for you. Is it a kind of a payoff of like, oh, shoo, you know, I got that done. I can check that off my list, you know, whatever it is. So it's just actually really teaching that specific process. So that's one kind of big pathway or avenue that you could go down. I think the other important pathway or avenue kind of gets back to that think differently bucket that I was talking about. And having the ability to understand and reframe the challenges or even the initial thoughts that you might be having about getting the process started. Like we talked about like, oh God, here we have, I have to do this today. Isn't, you know, can I just be a lawyer and do, you know, finish my contract? Do I have to really pick up the phone and call somebody? I don't want to do that. That's not how I was trained. You know, you have all of these thoughts. And then especially when you make those calls and they don't go well, or, you know, you think you had a really positive call and then you don't hear back from a potential client for weeks and you follow up and you don't hear anything, you know, your brain likes to fill in the blanks. Like you don't understand exactly why you're not getting feedback or why you're not getting a call back. And your brain's going to fill in a story that may or may not be accurate. And what we know is that oftentimes chunks of it really aren't accurate. So you have to be able to understand how you think about a setback or how you think about an adversity or a challenge or some type of stress. So there's lots of tools for that. But one of the best ways that I talk to people about is recognizing how do you explain why that challenge happened? So, you know, if you take the example of, you know, I made this wonderful contact, we had this great conversation, we went to lunch, and now it's going nowhere. Do you say to yourself something like, well, you know, I guess I just don't have what it takes. See, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm not a business developer, this isn't how I was trained. Do you go down that path? Or do you say, you know what, I just have to be a little bit more diligent about following up. I'm going to set you know, a specific time to follow up, you know, once every three weeks or what have you. Those two explanations are very, very different. And what we know is that people tend to have a habitual style of explaining why things have happened. And so it either kind of trends toward a more pessimistic explanation, like in the first example that I described, or a little bit more of an optimistic explanation. And the optimistic explanations are not about sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and everything has to be all perfect. It's got to be realistic, but you have to also be accurate in how you are looking at the situation. And so there's very specific categories to talk about with people. And then I can give you, I can give them tools to help them reframe or I call it cross-examining for lawyers, cross-examining their own thinking in a situation. When you were saying that, I was thinking of the term negative sorting. I have to say, I would go to that lunch and come out of it as a business development professional, someone who has led others and worked with others on business development. I would say they just didn't need what you were offering yet. There wasn't the right opportunity. But if we continue to communicate with them and we continue to reinforce our message through other ways, before we jump ahead, you also said in one of your comments that as a lawyer, they would come back and say, well, that was not how I was trained, right? To go out and make that phone call, which I think as an educator is a whole nother area, right? Why aren't we training lawyers to pick up the phone, to have these skills, to feel that they can feel confident walking into those discussions? So from an educational standpoint, um, and I know this isn't really technically what you were talking about from the educational piece, you were talking more about how do we educate lawyers to actually, or lawyers in training on, on how to have these conversations. Conversations. You can also very easily educate lawyers and training and law students about how to reframe their thinking when things don't go well with those types of situations. One of the things that I am struck by so much when it comes to 
sort of helping people trend toward more of having those more optimistic type explanations about adversity and stress and challenge is that the science behind it is so robust. It's a concept that's really been studied for about 40 plus years. There have been over a million subjects or participants in these particular studies. And there's over 500 of these studies that have been done in lots and lots of different areas. So we've got a really great data set. And we know that people who tend kind of more toward having this, what is called an optimistic explanatory style in the research, they miss fewer days of work. They're more likely to persevere. So there you go again with the resilience and the grit piece. They perform better under pressure. They get sick less often. They're seen as better leaders. They have stronger relationships with people. So there's just a whole host of phenomenal outcomes that you see when people are kind of able to get their thinking going in that direction. And one of the most powerful realizations that I've had since learning about this work and teaching this work is the realization of how my thinking and the way that I explained things was probably more toward the pessimistic side and how that was interfering with my ability to kind of be successful and get unstuck a lot quicker. If that's sort of your going in position, if that's your thinking style or you trend toward that in business development decisions or other ways that you explain adversity, one of the best questions that you can ask yourself is where do I have a measure of control or influence in this situation? Because what you need to start doing is harnessing resources and figuring out where you can take purposeful action. Okay, so you had something that didn't go well. What can you control or figure out or change or influence about that? And then what sort of resources can you bring in to help you with that so that you can start moving forward? How can I rectify the situation? Possibly, why did I respond that way? But it's interesting, Paula, when I think of that, I think of the fact that we've got, especially with our professionals, with our lawyers, even with the professional staff they work with, we've got a lot of people that are quite confident in their skills, right? So when they are in a situation like that, where they question their own skills, there's a tendency to get defensive. So how do we take a person who is more confident and help them through this? Is there two or three things that, you know, a listener that's saying, wow, that is so me. How can I respond differently? Asking yourself, where do I have a measure of control or influence in this situation helps extremely well. So you're talking about now shifting into the ability to sort of cross-examine your thinking and being able to reframe it. So that's what you have to do when you find yourself in those situations. So honestly, what the best thing is for you to do is to key in on what was the exact thought or thoughts that came up for you kind of in the heat of the moment. I talk about, you know, understanding how your brain works in the wild, understanding when you're in these messy situations, what are some of the automatic negative thoughts or automatic thoughts that you're having? So being able to actually say those and identify those is a really important first step. So for me, it was, man, you're just not good enough. That was like the first thing that I thought to myself. And that, that takes practice. That in and of itself takes practice for people to really slow down or reflect on, gosh, what was that automatic thing that I said to myself that wasn't so great? And once you have that, from there, you can start to challenge those responses and go in a number of different directions. So asking yourself, where do I have control or influence in this situation really helps getting unstuck and taking action really quickly. Another question that you can ask yourself is, what would I tell a friend if a friend was going through the same situation? So it gives you some perspective. I beat myself up a lot mentally when I'm, I'm saying these things. If a friend came to me with the same challenge or problem, I would never say to them, 
geez, you stink. You just can't handle it. So what would you tell a friend in that situation and then apply that to your own situation? So it just gives you a little perspective. Another question is, do I know anyone who has been through this who can help? The other great question is, what is the middle ground? What's the middle ground? Because oftentimes, especially if you're new to something like business development and it doesn't go well right away, you can think, oh, man, you know, if I can't do this, then I'm never going to be a good lawyer. So it's such a sort of black and white way of thinking. But what's all the middle ground that you're missing? doesn't mean you're not going to be a good lawyer. It just means that you need to practice this more or ask somebody else for tips. Great guidance. I can step away. I can say, okay, what would I say to my friend that was experiencing that? I can try to not have that negative emotion immediately and really talk about, okay, is there a way that I can just respond or change my view? Except a lot of these things happen in the moment. And I'm not sure there's a lot of time to recover. I know for myself, when I'm in situations that are new or different or more challenging at the moment than I would have hoped, I tend to fall back on two or three things that can help me get through. They're mental messages to myself. They're things that over time I've you know put in my pocket. Are there two or three things that either you've advised an unnamed client about that define a way that someone could have two or three either responses, reactions, ability to react. It's so important because what you're really talking about is self-awareness. We're talking about the ability to slow ourselves down enough and get enough practice so that we can recognize whether it's a physiological symptom or whether we're able to key in on the way that we're thinking more quickly. But it takes practice. And that's one of the things that I talk to attorneys about. I talk to everybody about who I speak to is that resilience is a practice. What I'm talking to you about right now is a practice. And it's probably not something you've given a whole lot of thought to in your life. And it's certainly not something that you've been trained to do. So it's going to take a little bit of practice and it's going to take a little bit of time to be able to kind of cue in and slow down to sort of how you actually do respond in your thinking and physiologically when something like this happens, whether you have a setback or a challenge or something doesn't go your way. And one of the easy, easy tools that I teach people generally is just a really quick mindfulness technique called STOP. And it's an acronym where the S and STOP stands for STOP, which I think violates the rules of acronyms. But anyway, that's what it is. The T is to take a breath. So just it's just a very quick little pause reset. The O is to observe. And again, we're talking about pretty quickly here. Observe so you can understand, gosh, my cheeks are getting really red or my ears are turning red or having that thought again about, you know, there's no way I can do this or, you know, my stomach is in knots. Being able to start to label that in the observe piece and then proceed forward. So it's meant to be a very quick little kind of timeout check in for yourself to be able to do in the moment. But oftentimes, especially if you're new to these skills, you might miss your opportunity in the moment. But then if you take five or 10 minutes after the fact and just reflect on, gosh, why did I mess that up? Or why didn't I give the right answer? Or why did that call go so poorly? Or why do I feel like a level 10 angry right now? And just take a few minutes and start to think about that. You'll carry that information into the next instance so that you'll be able to get much quicker and better at keying in on those things when they happen. Terrific advice. And I think anyone who's listening can really relate to an experience where either they walked away and said, wow, you know, to that point, it didn't go well, you know, and what is that reaction and being able to be productive in how to get to the next place and really do it differently the next time is so critical. You've done a lot of work in your role, reflecting on times when you were practicing as a lawyer. 
Is there a difference in the generations of people and how they deal with, from a resiliency perspective and a self-efficacy perspective, are the generation that had the prizes very different than, you know, possibly the ride and slot boomers that are either very healthy middle of their career or the end of their career? How are the different generations responding and how do they respond either naturally or through their training to these areas where they really have to change or develop different habits or are some just naturally have those habits? Yeah. So I think generally from a resilience standpoint, across the board, there's room for improvement regardless of generation. So I know that when I work with a group of partners, one of the skills that I teach and talk about is how to stop catastrophizing. So when something goes wrong and you immediately go to sort of that worst case scenario story, I think a lot of partners think that they don't think that way anymore, that they have you know just developed enough of a thick skin or you know, they've just been in it long enough. And that's just something that younger attorneys do because they just, you know, they're newer and they don't quite know what they're doing yet. And that has definitely not been the case in terms of what I've observed in my teaching. So I think that there is always room to improve regardless of where you are in your career and what generation you're in. Where the difference does show up, though, is what I was talking about earlier when we were talking about the self-efficacy piece, because I'm in Gen X and I certainly did not grow up with the everybody gets an A, everybody gets a trophy, but my younger cousins and family members and people who I know did. And I see such a drastic difference in their ability to be able to problem solve quickly, to get themselves out of situations quickly, to know that they have resources available that they can tap into quickly. And there is a greater tendency to just sort of crumble, just to kind of give up and say, you know what, I just can't do this. That I don't see from a self-efficacy standpoint with other generations, with Gen X, with baby boomers and, and folks kind of in those in those generations. So that's really kind of the one big piece of resilience where I see a big, more of a big generational difference for sure. Paula, it's been such an interesting interview. We think about business development and these skills. Is there an example of really the type of skills that a lawyer could adopt that would really make a difference specifically in that business development area when they're going to have to execute on activities that will not have an immediate result and possibly would never have an immediate result and then face straight on rejection, you know, not, you know, maybe no is the response often. Any advice you would give? I think some of the best advice is to just know that, especially for coming at it from a resilience standpoint, and you're thinking to yourself, do I have what it takes? Do I have enough of it to sort of achieve my goals and make it? Is to know that the tools of resilience aren't difficult. They're just things that we haven't been taught that take a little bit of practice. But with just a few simple tools, some of the ones that we've talked about today, and then there are certainly others, you can really start to make some meaningful strides in Gosh, not only accomplishing your goals, but also understanding that when challenge or failure or setback or any of that happens, there's a way to navigate through it that's going to get you to thriving more quickly versus just stagnating. And just understand that there's simple tools and that there are things that you can actively do to start to grow those capacities from a resilient standpoint. Definitely. We talk about business development being a skill set, something you can learn and that there is no rocket science. There is no rain dancing required with some attention to it and some practice. You can definitely be successful in that area. Polly, what do you enjoy most about the work that you do? 
I love really just being out there with professionals and just not only being able to teach them what I know, but to be able to actually sit with them and hear their challenges and the things that are frustrating them and the things that are keeping them up at night. Again, sort of going in with that curiosity mindset, which is what we kind of talked about at the beginning of the program, but really, really meeting them where they're at and hearing what are you kind of struggling with? What's going on in your life? Because I get it. I mean, we are all in the middle of it. You know, we're trying to have thriving, you know, law practices. We're trying to, you know, be good, significant others and parents and friends and, and, and try to manage all of that. And I just get such enormous satisfaction when people want to share their stories with me. And, and sometimes that's all they want to do is just say, Hey, you know what, let me, I got a sympathetic ear. I'm just going to spill it for a little bit. And then sometimes it's met with, can you help me with this? Can you give me, you know, some advice or a tool or a tip? And I love that so much. We appreciate everything you've shared today, Paula. Any last points you'd like to make before we say goodbye? Yeah, I just want to capitalize on on the whole resilience skill set piece because one of the things that I erroneously thought about resilience is that you either have it or you don't, right? It's just this thing you're born with or you're not born with it. And if you don't have it, too bad, so sad, you're going to have to figure something else out in life. But just really understanding that we know very distinctly now from 40 plus years of research that while there is a very small genetic component to resilience, it's very, very largely how you sort of practice and build it and deal with kind of getting those skills to yourself that matters. So so it's very, very much a toolkit and a skill set that can be learned and practiced and developed just like a muscle. So that would be my parting point. Terrific one. Paula, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thanks so much, Nicole. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.